What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 306 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages on Facebook and Twitter slash X for the latest updates. Good to be back with you folks this week. We'll let you guys know that maybe a little bit of a shorter episode this week is, um, you know, not a whole lot of kind of things to talk about with the Celtics and the Patriots, but, you know, got some Bruins, got some Red Sox and, you know, a little bit of revolution, but, you know, maybe a little bit uh, shorter today, but uh, excited to be back and uh, like to say anyone that has not listened to uh, last week's Guest Friday, you can go ahead and do that. Uh, it was great having John Veneziano back uh, talking revolution as the uh, season gets going. Revs have the first game tomorrow, or uh, Wednesday, I should say, as they start the uh, CONCACAF Champions Cup. So that's a uh, separate competition, but then MLS competition starts this weekend. Revs play uh, in D.C. against D.C. United. So, you know, exciting season starting there, but... Uh, Again, yeah, thanks to John for coming on last week. Always good to have him uh, talking some revolution. Got a returning guest later this week uh, talking some uh, Premier Lacrosse League. There's the uh, championship series this past weekend, so that guest will come in, uh, have a good conversation. So looking forward to that. Um, So I think we're going to start with the Bruins. You know, it's kind of going to be most of um, my focus today, I think, uh, Clearly, you know, as we spoke last week, Bruins kind of in a little bit of a rut. Um, And unfortunately, I think that the rut has uh, continued a little bit um, into the last couple of games. Bruins have lost um, three in a row, I think, at this point. Uh, Four in a row, I should say. Um, And I think, you know, it's just, it is so interesting how it seems like it's the exact opposite of what happened to the Bruins after the Christmas break? You know, Bruins go into the Christmas break having lost four in a row and kind of for the first time all season, it's like, okay, you know, they really have hit a skid and they bounce back. And I think really from that point, you know, December 27th to January 27th, you know, that month, of, you know, after the Christmas break up until the All-Star break, Bruins, you know, were outstanding and only lost two games in regulation that entire stretch. Two losses in regulation, three past regulation. And, you know, I think it is, I think to me, somewhat understandable that they've come out of having a 10-day break And having lost, you know, five of six, I think that, you know, I think, I think it's tough because I think they were playing at such a high level. And I think perhaps the all-star break came at a bad time that, you know, they were kind of in a groove playing their best hockey and here comes this 10 day break and. You know, they've really not been able to rediscover their game. You know, I think that last 6-2 win against the Flyers before the break, you know, was one of their best performances of the season. And I think came against a pretty decent hockey team. And, you know, we've not really seen that team at all over the last six games. You know, I think you look at a couple of these losses have been really ugly. I think I think if you want to look at the last three games, the Bruins have played a little bit better. You know, I think that Seattle game, unfortunately, the score makes it look like they got blown out, but I think the Bruins kind of got unlucky in that game. You know, hit the post three different times, had another chance that went right through the crease. And I think, you know, I think it's one of those games where it just doesn't happen for you. You're getting chances and really seeming, seeming like you're outplaying the other team, but they, you know, are opportunistic. So, 
you know, I think this little run, this little rut is not exactly unexpected for me um, because I just think you look at how I think this team has really had really overachieved to the point that, you know, you look at that team, you look at the team's record into the All-Star break, 31-9-9, and the thought is like, oh my God, are they going to be number one again? Or, or finish, you know, with the best record. But, you know, I think when you've looked at the, when you look at the talent or the lack of talent this year compared to last year, I think it's understandable that the team would go through, I think, more stretches of losing. Um, and it's not to say that this recent run of play is acceptable, because um, it's not. I mean, you've had some games here where they've come into the game and just given you nothing. You know, there's two recent games, Washington and Calgary, that just, they just didn't have it in either of those games. And then I think very frustrating the loss on Saturday afternoon of the Bruins just you know, build that three to one lead and then continue to make, you know, big error after big error. And then, you know, the biggest error of all, you know, losing a guy, losing a guy coming out of the penalty box and he scores the winning goal. And I think kind of were just different areas of that game that kind of gave you some concerns. And I think paying attention and you know, kind of losing focus. And I think not having the correct awareness um, at at times where it's like Pavel Zaka can't take that penalty in the offensive zone. You just can't. Um, you know, they cannot allow Kopitar to be free, you know, un, you know unmarked in front of the goal for that for the tying for the tying marker and there needs to be better awareness when you're winding down the end of a power play and you know that someone's coming out of the box and you can't make a risky pass so i think you think about all three of those things it kind of is just awareness and focus and they really were not where they needed to be in that kings game and I think it's disappointing because I think that was a game in which I think you could have felt good. You know, they hold if they hold on for a 4-3 win, 5-3, whatever it is, you got some good contributions from Van Riemsdyk, you know, from Frederick. Both had really good games. You know, Anthony Richard gets his first goal. You know, that's a game where you can feel good about, okay, we built off of you know, two tough losses that just kind of didn't go our way, you know, and instead it's, you know, four straight losses for the second time this year. And look, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh my God, the sky is falling. This is the worst possible thing. You know, I just think it, it kind of should show people that, okay, this is a Bruins team that I think just had an amazing first half. But I think that looks can be deceiving with this particular team. And I think, you know, there's a very good chance that they don't end up, you know, first in the East, first in the division. But I think people need to be okay with that um, because I think that this is a hockey team, especially this particular group. I think it's better for them to be kind of an under the radar team and that's not to say that, you know, I want them to lose because obviously you want this team to go out and play, compete every single night. And, you know, the goal is to go out and win every game. I know that that's not something that's going to happen, but, you know, I think, you know, it's, I think it may be good for this team to go through some adversity. You know, it's too bad that it's, coming, you know, during a homestand that I think was, you know, something that I think people are excited about, but you've seen some losing. And I think, 
you know, I, there was one thing that was written in the paper over the weekend that the Bruins had lost four in a row on a homestand for the first time since 2010, which is crazy to me. And I think kind of goes to show you that the model of consistency they've been for so long. Um, and I think, you know, I think that this stretch is, to me, nothing more than kind of a blip on the radar screen um, in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, I think... I think that it should just kind of show people that, okay, this is a team that's not invincible. This is not last year's team. This is not the team that was going to, you know, be the number one seed in the East. I kind of just don't think that it was possible for them to continue to play at that pace. Um, I think that obviously there still need to be things, there there need to be things that need, need to be cleaned up. I think there are guys that need to play better. And I think if they're really going to make any noise in the postseason, there needs to be consistent scoring. And I think you know what you're going to get from your top guys, but I think that those secondary guys need to be way more consistent, you know, if you're really going to do anything in the postseason. And I think you've had certain guys that have gone a little bit cold recently, I think, with just kind of the recent play that's happened. Um, you know, DeBrusque, I don't think, has scored in eight games. Doesn't have a point. You know, Charlie Coyle has started to cool off a little bit. Um, I think Geeky has kind of started to cool off a little bit. And I think, you know, it's starting to... I think people should be starting to see that, okay, you know, it's a team that you know, has gotten good, I think, solid secondary scoring for most of the season. But I think it's like when it's not there, you know, it kind of um, kind of becomes an issue because you're relying on the same guys every single night. You know, you're relying on Pasternak and Marchand and, and whoever to, you know, score the goals. And I think that, you know, it could just be that it's just not happening right now. And they're just kind of in a rut. And I think, as I said, kind of just the exact opposite of coming out of the Christmas break when they played outstanding hockey and played great hockey for a month. You know, I think that this just may be the opposite and it's just going to take them a little bit to find their game back. And I hope that maybe it starts today against Dallas, but Dallas is a pretty good hockey team. So I think it'll be a good kind of measuring stick game for the Bruins, but it doesn't get any easier because then they go um, out to Western Canada and play Edmonton, Calgary, and Vancouver, um, and then we'll play Seattle. So it's like, you know, it doesn't really get easier for this team. I mean, I think if you even want to include the next game after that, you know, coming home against Vegas, you have six games in a row that I think are going to be very, very challenging. And so I think the Bruins, you know, really have to pick it up and really have to, you know, focus in and, you know, eliminate some of those errors and some of the big errors that we saw on Saturday. I think that, you know, it's just trying to find that spark again. And whether that's someone going on a five, six game heater where they're scoring every game or, you know, swim in an old mark, stand on their head, you know, or who knows, maybe there's a fight or some type of big kind of bonding thing. Um, but I think that this team kind of being in the dog days of the season, I think between the, you know, all-star break and the trade deadline, it's kind of hard to continue to stay motivated and give your best every game. Obviously it's not trying to make an excuse, but I do think that, you know, with the way that this team was winning at the rate that they were, it's hard to kind of maintain that sort of, you know, mentality. So, you know, I think you're hoping that they can figure out what it is that's kind of going wrong and kind of fix it. So I think... 
looking yeah looking ahead today against Dallas, one o'clock game and then four straight on the road, Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, um, and Seattle, and then you're home against Vegas at the end of the month. Um, I think six pretty difficult games. Um, I think it has been good to see that the goaltending uh, rotation is still happening. I think that that's something that the Bruins would like to continue. Um, I think just some roster moves. Um, Oscar Steen was put on waivers yesterday. Obviously, Anthony Richard scored his first goal uh, with the Bruins over the weekend. Really like what I've Really liked what I've seen from him. Um, I think that he's been a really solid addition, you know, scoring the goal, but also just kind of giving the Bruins another option in the bottom six um, and someone with some good speed. So I hope he can continue um, and play more games. You know, I think Jesper Boquist. Uh, I've also liked at times, you know, I think he gives you some speed and skill on that fourth line, but I do think that they're kind of missing, you know, not necessarily a big body checker, but I think someone that is going to, you know, make it difficult for other teams to play against that particular line. And, you know, I think that they're missing someone like Lucic, not him particularly, um, just with his whole uh, legal situation. It's not really something I want to talk about, but, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if, do they perhaps look at someone down in Providence to fill that kind of role? Do they look at someone at the trade deadline? You know, I think that that might be less likely because they think that, you know, they might be looking more in terms of defense at the deadline. But I think, again, you know, as I've mentioned with the deadline, the hard thing is they don't really have cap space and they don't really have assets either. So it's like they're in a pretty tough spot to try to make an addition at the deadline. I mean, I think that Don Sweeney and company probably would like to, but, you know, $60,000 in cap space. You really don't have that kind of wiggle room that you did last year that you were able to go big and be able to, you know, bring in Orlov, bring in Bertuzzi. You're not going to be able to do that this year, unfortunately. So, you know, they might just have to work with what they got. Um, so I think... You know, going forward, hopefully you have guys like DeBrusque, Frederick, Geeky, um, some of those guys kind of pick it up in terms of the scoring. You know, Coyle, I think, has been a little bit quiet recently, too. So I think it's like that's when they're at their best, when they can have, you know, not just Pasternak and Marchand going, but they can have their other guys going, too. And I think great to see Van Riemsdyk get a couple more goals. Over the weekend, he, I think, has been one of the kind of unsung heroes of the season. So really good for him to get on the score sheet again. Um, but I think it's kind of just everyone pulling together and trying to get the group back to kind of the way that they were playing post-Christmas uh, break. Um, I think it's going to be, again, tough this time of year and you know, the schedule gets harder and the teams get more desperate, you know, like the Kings. The Kings were a team that, you know, are in a playoff spot, but they're playing with a lot more desperation and they played with a lot more desperation than you did on Saturday. And so I think the Bruins really have to kind of get back to that to start playing with some desperation and, you know, play like a team that's not kind of the front running team that they were for the majority of the season and kind of be the team that no one wants to play, be the team that's going to outwork the other team. I think that that's kind of something that maybe they've lost over the last couple of games. Um, but yeah, make no mistake, it's not going to be easy the next six games. Uh, but it starts this afternoon against Dallas. I think it's a very good hockey team that hopefully the Bruins can kind of get up for that type of opponent. Um and not have to kind of like force themselves to get ready to play a team, you know, like Calgary or like Washington. Um, so, yeah, Bruins 
and Stars later this afternoon, um, then four-game road trip to Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, and then Seattle. So I think that's probably going to do it for the Bruins um, with the Red Sox um, opening spring training pitchers and catchers reporting last week. I think that um, all the players on the roster have reported. I um, think it might make sense for us to talk a little bit a little bit Red Sox before the uh, spring training games start this weekend. Uh, there is some news this morning. The Red Sox are signing Liam Hendricks to a two-year contract. He was the a closer for the White Sox over the last couple of years is recovering uh, from Tommy John's surgery. So I'm unclear when he will be available, um, if he's available this season. Um, you know, I think very talented, very good closer. Um, I think recently had a season with 30 saves. I think if we take a quick look at this. Yeah, 2021 had 38 saves um, and has pitched for four different teams over 13 years. Um, he has gotten votes for the Cy Young Award a couple times. Um, so interesting to see when maybe he will be available, perhaps later this season. Um, I think it's I think it's a solid move because I think the Red Sox may be unclear about the future with both uh, Chris Martin and uh, Kenley Jansen, you know, in terms of do they finish out the season with the Red Sox? Do they trade one or both of them at the deadline? Um, and so I think, I think that, you know, either one of them get traded at the deadline or they don't return next season, you know, you're in a good place with, with Hendricks. So, you know, I think I like it. I think it's uh, kind of hard to, hard to figure out what this really means right now. Um, but I think Hendricks is, when healthy, is a very good closer. Um, and I think really, you know, you're not, you wouldn't be losing much going from Jansen to Hendricks in terms of a closer, which I think that is good. I think that that tells you that, okay, you know, this is a move that they're making so that, you know, the closing situation can be okay. You know, once Jansen and Martin leave, you know, if they do leave, if they both, you know, get traded um, at the trade deadline or if they, you know, finish the season with the Red Sox, but then they sign elsewhere and you got someone like Hendricks. So I think it's a solid move. You know, I think it's an interesting move, I think just because he's still coming back from Tommy John surgery, but I would expect that, you know, maybe he becomes available later in the season and, you know, or perhaps in 2025. So, you know, I think it's a solid move. I think I think, unfortunately, people want to see the Red Sox make moves with the idea of being competitive right now um, rather than kind of in the future. But, you know, it, it, it is what it is. It's going to be what it's going to be. And, you know, I think turning the page to look at this team entering spring training, I think, is, you know, Evan Greasing and I talked about a couple of weeks ago. There are things to be excited about with this team. I know that there's a lot of negativity and there are a lot of people that, you know, don't believe that the, that the front office really is interested in winning. Um, you know, I wouldn't exactly dispute that either, but, you know, I think that there are players that I'm excited to see how they do. Um, I think that, you know, the pitching staff is still a little bit thin. You know, Giolito, you kind of don't really know what you're going to get. Um, you know, Bayo is really good first half last season, but, you know, the season didn't end, I think, the way that the team wanted it to, and I don't think it ended the way that he wanted it to. So, you know, I think he's certainly got a lot to prove. Um, I think someone like Nick, like Nick Pavetta 
has a lot to prove. You know, I think he was almost the opposite of Bayo last year that started the season in the rotation was, you know, terrible at the start of the season um, and then really picked it up, you know, being used in a variety of different roles uh, toward the end of the season. I think in his last, you know, 100 innings, he pitched really, really well. And so I think the Red Sox are hoping that he can tap into that and Cutter Crawford can tap into being a big-time strikeout guy. But I think that with this rotation, there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of hoping that these guys can be quality starters. And I think, like, you would prefer to have quality or more quality starting pitchers so you know what you're going to get. But I think, you know, the Red Sox must be confident in, you know, those two guys in particular. Um, And then Garrett Whitlock, Josh Winkowski, you know, whoever battling for that last spot in the rotation, you know, like, maybe this is just a personal thing, but I kind of wish they'd stop screwing around with Whitlock in the rotation and just have him in the bullpen because I think that's where he's at his best. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see how he does this year. And, you know, there's a lot of, I think a lot of legitimate questions about their pitching staff, I think. Still questions about, you know, what the lineup is going to look like, what the best, you know, outfield combination is going to look like. But I got to say, I think that if, you know, Von Grissom really steps into being a solid everyday second baseman, you're looking at an infield that could be really, really good um, and could be an infield that is kind of going to be the, the infield of the future for the next couple of years. Um, you know, Casas and Devers at um, either corner and then Story at shortstop. So um, I think that's something to kind of be excited about, I think, just to see how that group can do defensively um, and offensively. You know, I think that Casas has the ability to build off of last year. Um, and you hope that Devers, you know, is a little bit more consistent than he was last year. And you hope that someone like Story healthy and hitting the way that we expect, you know, he does, you know, is able to protect Devers in the lineup. And I think as far as the outfield, that's kind of where most of my questions come in. And, you know, if the idea is Yoshida going to be the DH every day, you know, what does the outfield look like? You know, it seems like Tyler O'Neill is pretty penciled in to play left field. And then, you know, center is going to be Duran or Rafaela, who I think the Red Sox really like defensively, but there's still questions about his bat. Um, and then right field, it's, you know, Willier Abreu or, you know, Ref Snyder or whoever. Um, and I think the Red Sox may be asking a lot of Abreu to be that everyday right fielder, but we'll see. Um, I think... You know, you'd hope with O'Neill, with the addition of O'Neill, in the outfield every day, he kind of helps your outfield defense because the Red Sox, I think, I think, obviously, at times last year, were not the best, we're not the best defensive outfield, let's just say. Um, and so I think having a gold glover, two-time gold glover, you know, will help back there. So, you know, I think... As I mentioned with the bullpen, you know, Martin and Jansen, I think, will do their thing and I think be a solid addition or will be will be solid back there in the bullpen. Um, I think, yeah, I think it was Martin last year that had a really good season and, you know, got a Cy Young vote and Jansen, you know, is really, really solid. I think that that actually might be the strength of the team, that the bullpen might be really, really good. But I think the biggest thing is having that pitching staff that is able to go deep into games. And I think like that's kind of the biggest question for me this season is, you know, is the pitching staff solid enough to get you to the bullpen late in games? And I think that that will ultimately be the question that how you answer that question will determine whether they compete this year or not. I think it's 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 going to be 
like a like you're hoping that they can compete. There's not really a lot that looking at this roster that tells you they're going to compete. But I think like, look, baseball doesn't make sense sometimes, and teams that look like this you wouldn't expect to compete, but then they turn around and you know win 88 games. So you know I'm not going to sit here and say that that's what I expect. You know I expect this team to win between like 75 and 80 games, maybe a little bit less um, there, but, you know, I think it's all about the rotation. If they can consistently, you know, get into the sixth inning, get into the seventh inning and the bullpen isn't overly taxed, you know, who knows? Crazy things could happen. I don't think I'm as concerned about their lineup in terms of batting, you know, to be interesting to see the outfield combination in terms of defense, but I honestly, like, have pretty big expectations for, you know, Trevor Story and Von Grissom and Tyler O'Neill. I think those three guys in particular are going to be huge in terms of, you know, what they can do offensively to help uh, protect your power guys um, and Casas endeavors. Um, I think that those three guys are going to be absolutely crucial to the team's success this year. And I think, you know, I hope that Yoshida can be a little bit more consistent um, in the second half of the year. I think that he kind of fell off a little bit, but I think, you know, you, you have enough here that I think you can be a consistent lineup. But the question is, how can your rotation you know, keep itself afloat. Um, so I think, you know, that's probably going to be it. Talking about the Red Sox will, you know, obviously keep you updated as spring training uh, games start up this weekend. So, or next weekend. So we'll keep you updated on that. Uh, it seems like at the moment, Giolito is penciled in as the num- the opening day starter. Be interesting to see if Brian Bayo takes the ball. Um, I think that it's really kind of between the two of them in terms of, you know, who's going to take the ball. So um, I think that's it for the Red Sox. Talk a little bit about the Celtics, a couple Celtics at um, All-Star Weekend. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, both played in the All-Star game and played pretty well. Jalen Brown had 36 last night, Jason Tatum with 20. Uh, Jalen also did the dunk contest which is pretty fun to watch. You know, I think that at this point, thinking about the dunk contest in 2024, I think the tough thing is, you know, most things have kind of been done already. So it's kind of hard to, you know, get super excited when you're watching it. But I think that it was a fun thing for Jalen to do. And I think you hope that um, other all-stars can start doing it. Um, and hopefully he kind of makes it a regular thing because I got to be honest, I think that that's part of what made the dunk contest fun back in the day is the, you know, best players in the league doing it and not, you know, respectfully guys in the G League. I think that, you know, obviously it's great to see that guys from the G League can do the great athletic things that they can do, but it's just like you want to have your all-star events be things that your all-stars are per- performing in. So, you know, hopefully Jalen kind of gets that started and we can uh, see more of that. So Celtics had two games last week, both against the Nets, you know, Tatum with the big 41-point effort last Tuesday, and then the Celtics winning by 50 on Wednesday. You know, not a whole lot to take from those games. Um, I think that, you know, Tatum followed up his really good game against the Heat with a really good game again, 41 points the next night. Uh, You know, Brooklyn, I think, not the best uh, defensive team. So I think it's, you know, not to diminish what Jason did because I think that those particular games really showed you, okay, he's a serious, or should be taken, uh, should be taken 
as a serious MVP candidate. Um, but I think, you know, against a team like that, that I think sometimes can play defense or defense can be optional with that team. Um, I don't want to say it's not impressive, but I think it's like 41 points. You know, we had 31 in the first half. You kind of see that, okay, this Brooklyn team is checked out at times. Although they did make it closer, uh, the Celtics were able to make enough plays down the stretch to win. Uh, but I would say, though, the way that Jason's been playing the last couple of weeks, I think definitely show you that, okay, he should be taken seriously as an MVP candidate. And, I mean, should be an MVP candidate. Uh, I don't care what happened in his past playoff performances uh, because the MVP should be about this year and this year only shouldn't be about what you did or didn't do in the past. I think that that's a just insane conversation that we're having that, you know, oh, well, he didn't perform well in playoffs past, so he can't possibly win the MVP. And it's just like, I, I don't know. I, I don't understand when the NBA MVP award became about something like other than the season, the season that they're in, like just, it's just a very strange thing. And it's like, I don't really care that much if he wins MVP, but it's just like the conversation around that is so preposterously stupid that it's just like, why do you even care? You know? And I think Jason may have alluded to that, that, you know, MVP is nice. He would love to win one, but it's not really what he is focused on, not really what the, the ultimate goal is, which I think is great to hear that, you know, winning something like that would be great, but it's not, you know, really what he's focused on. He's focused on winning the championship. And I think that some players, I'm not going to be specific, but some players care more about the MVP than they care about their, you know, postseason success. So oh, that's all I'm going to say there. So. But I think Jason's recent play definitely is like he deserves to be in that conversation. I'm not trying to sit here and say he deserves to win, that he's the MVP, that he's been the best player all season, because I don't think that that's correct. But it's just like you can't hold past seasons, past postseasons against him when the MVP for 2023 24 is about this season. It's not about anything else. So, you know, that's just my two cents. Uh, but the Celtics continue to uh, be off for the All-Star break. They will return to action Thursday against the Bulls. And then they will travel to New York to play the Knicks Saturday night. So looking forward to that Knicks game. The Knicks have been playing really good basketball um, as of late. So, Looking forward to that game. It's an 8.30 start on ABC, one of those primetime games. So looking forward to that. And then the Celtics will have three in a row at home. Pretty high-profile games against Philadelphia, Dallas, and Golden State on March 3rd. So five games out of the break for the Celtics. Road games against Chicago and New York. So looking forward to both of those. So I think that was kind of it for the Celtics. You know, I think it was neat to see Jalen doing the dunk contest. I think um, having some tributes to a couple of different people, um, including uh, the late Terrence Clark, who uh, played at Kentucky and was tragically killed in a car accident a couple of years ago. Um, so that was really, really neat to see him um, honor Terrence Clark, who was uh, from Boston, so I thought that that was really, really cool. That's whose jersey he put on uh, when he did one of his dunks, so I thought that was really, really cool, and I think, you know, just to see Jalen doing it was really, really cool. I think couldn't really care less if he won or not, but I think um, just doing something that he wanted to do and, you know, making it fun, making it his own, I thought was, was pretty cool, even if the... Uh, even if the uh, Pacers crowd did not appreciate the, uh, uh, like, turning the court into the Celtics uh, Celtics parquet. I actually thought that was pretty funny. 
uh, after one of his dunks that uh, whatever the court was was like a projection thing or whatever, and they made it look like the Celtics court, and that got some uh, got some people in the crowd to boo. I think so. That was kind of funny, but uh, good on Jalen for doing that. I think that you know, hope that that you know kickstarts some um, guys willing to do the dunk contest in the next couple of years. So I think I think it's probably going to do it for the Celtics. Um, you know, I think, I believe, actually, one more note on the Celtics. Uh, March 1st is the deadline for players to waive players that may be bought out. So that's just something to keep in mind if the Celtics do indeed dip into the buyout market. I don't think that they will. Um, I think much more likely is they either just keep that open roster spot for maybe a player they add for the rest of the regular season, but not for the playoffs. Um, you know, or they convert Cato's contract to an NBA deal and then he takes up that last roster spot. I think that's either one of those things I think is more likely than um, a buyout player, but March 1st um, is that deadline, so we'll see if anything happens between now and then. So, getting to the revolution, season starts this week, MLS play starts Saturday in D.C., and then they will start uh, the CONCACAF Champions Cup on Wednesday, 8 o'clock game against Independiente de la Chorrera. And so that will be a two-leg match, so the Revs will play uh, one game on Wednesday, and then one game next Thursday, and then I think aggregate score, they will, or whoever has more goals, will advance to the next stage, and then DC United this weekend, and then the home opener March 3rd against Toronto, so looking forward to that for the revolution. Um, I think I'm most curious about what the lineup is going to look like Wednesday and then what it looks like Saturday. I think that that will be, you know, interesting to see. So, yeah, I think that's all I got for the Revolution. Uh, no real Patriots news, unless you're interested in watching that uh, documentary that came out with two episodes. Um, I think it's focusing on the Dynasty era. Um, two episodes came out on Friday. Um, you know, I think if you're interested in that, that's great. I think for me personally, I'm waiting for all the episodes to come out and then I'll watch it all. But a lot of people talking about that over the last uh, couple of days. So that's really the only real Patriot stuff, you know, free agency starts in about a month. So we'll maybe start talking about that as we get closer. So we'll get to some league notes here. Get to the NBA first with All-Star Game last night. The East winning 211 to 186. Highest scoring All-Star Game in league history. 397 points. Uh, Damian Lillard wins All-Star Game MVP with 39 points. Uh, just pulling up from half court. Hitting a couple half-court threes in the second half, pretty crazy. So, you know, I think you can only make the NBA All-Star Game as, like, you can only make it so, so, so you can only make it so competitive. You know, I think it's just like, it's going to be what it's going to be. You know, guys, I think, took it a little bit more seriously than, than typically, which I think was good to see. A little bit of defense, but it's just like, there's not going to be too much of, too much defense. I was kind of wishing it would be a closer game, but entertaining, you know, nonetheless. So Lillard with MVP and also won the three-point contest on Saturday night. Mac McClung beating Jalen Brown in the finals of the dunk contest. So he wins for the second year in a row. And Stephen Curry, Stephen Curry beating Sabrina, Sabrina 
Ionescu for um, an all-star shootout three-point contest that they did. I thought that was pretty cool. I really would hope that they do that again. I thought that was a pretty neat thing that they both did. So I think take a look at the NBA standings here at the all-star break. Celtics a six-game lead over second-place Cleveland. And then they are followed by the Bucks, the Knicks, the Sixers, and the Indiana Pacers. And then in the play-in spots, you have, you have the Heat, the Magic, the Bulls, and the Hawks with the Nets two and a half games back. Uh, the Nets just recently, this morning, fired Jock Vaughn. Um, so he will no longer be coaching the team. So Nets, I think, I'm assuming, hiring an interim coach. But Jock Vaughn is, is out in Brooklyn. In the Western Conference, Minnesota still leads the West a game and a half over Oklahoma, over Oklahoma City. Um, and that's followed by the Clippers, the Nuggets, the Suns, and the Pelicans. And then in the play-in spots, Dallas, Sacramento, the Lakers, and the Warriors with the Jazz two and a half games back of the final play-in spots. So yeah, no NBA games until Thursday. These teams get a pretty good break. Take a look at some NHL notes. Stadium series took place this weekend with uh, the Devils beating the Flyers Saturday night 6-3, and then the Rangers beating the Islanders yesterday in overtime. So pretty cool. Pretty cool setting there for all four of those teams. Um, let's take a look. The Islanders, speaking of the Islanders, they will host the 2026 All-Star Game at UBS Arena. The Penguins retiring the Armier Dodgers, number 68. Um, so those of you who are wondering, 2025 All-Star Game will not take place because of the Four Nations Cup that will take place, I think, next year. Around that around that time, so I think the U.S., Canada, Sweden, and Finland that will play in 2025. Uh, so we'll take a look at some NHL uh, games today. Obviously, Bruins and the Stars at one. Toronto and St. Louis also at one o'clock. Anaheim and Buffalo at 12:30. Vancouver and Minnesota at 2, Detroit and Seattle at 3.30, Winnipeg and Calgary, Edmonton and Arizona at 4, Vegas and, Col Vegas and San Jose at 4, Chicago and Carolina at 7, Ottawa and Tampa Bay also at 7. So take a quick look at the standings, and we'll start in the east, Florida currently with a one-point lead over the Bruins for first place um, in the Atlantic, 76 to 75. Um, and then Toronto is in third place with 66. And then in the Metro, you have the Rangers in first, followed by Carolina and Philadelphia, and then the wildcard spots, Tampa Bay and Detroit with New Jersey. Just two points back. And then in the West, Dallas leading the Central. Bruins will face off with them later this afternoon. Uh, they lead the Avalanche by three points and the Jets by four. <clears throat> and then in the Pacific, Vancouver, 80 points leading the league. They have a 12-point lead over Vegas, 15 over Edmonton. And then in the wildcard spots, L.A. and St. Louis with Nashville just two games back. So I think, get to some MLB here. <clears throat> with sprint training uh, kicking up. Um, the Red Sox did also make a trade um, earlier. I think it was earlier this weekend, John Schreiber going to the Royals for one of their pitching prospects. 
Um, so I think just kind of a crowded bullpen, unfortunately, with the Red Sox. But I think there actually is a lot to like about the Royals, or the Royals prospect that they have acquired. Um, Shohei Otani out for the Dodgers. Spring training opener, still recovering from his uh, surgery this summer, or th this offseason, I should say. So we'll take a look. Some NFL here. Nelson Aguilar returning to the Ravens for a one-year extension. Um, and Jimmy Garoppolo suspended two games for violating the league's uh, substance policy, I believe. So, oh, and the, Jack, uh, the Bears also releasing veteran safety Eddie Jackson, which I thought was significant. I think that uh, if the price is right, the Patriots may consider bringing him in, I think especially if Kyle Duggar leaves in free agency. So um, Eddie Jackson's certainly a name to watch. And who knows, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo is a name to watch uh, if uh, the Patriots think about bringing him back. Uh, but I think that's going to be it for me this week. Uh, looking forward to, I guess, Friday later this week, talking some Premier Lacrosse League. So be on the lookout for that. Um, and we will talk to you then.